0: You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So, I turned 35 last week. That happened. Thank you for all of you that wished me Uh, blessings on my birthday and left some love on my facebook wall i appreciate that i just want to say a few words before we get to our program today because i'll tell you what you're going to have to save your brain cells for what's about to come now uh, one of the things that we have done at bride for years is we have Offered support for survivors of SRA, satanic ritual abuse, um, having dissociative identity disorder and dissociative identity disorder for other trauma backgrounds, specifically targeting those that can't afford help. We've offered grants and we've offered, you know, different kinds of provisions. And now that we are in this year, we are continuing to do that, uh, but we are offering free coaching hours through our DID Coach Mentorship Program, where our students are working with those of you that have signed up for our waiting list that have volunteered to receive ministry. And that's been going extremely well. If you are a survivor of SRA and and other trauma backgrounds and you've been looking for help but cannot afford it, I want you to know that we have a waiting list And that waiting list can be found at broadmovement.com on our ministry page under the Can't Afford a Coach section. I want everybody to know that we are building, and next year, once we graduate all of our current students from this year's DID Coach Mentorship Program, uh, we will continue offering scholarships to official coaches while simultaneously. Uh, offering spots to those that are willing to work with our student coaches and so next year we are without question going to be able to offer um, free ministry free DID coaching to more people than ever before Um, I I am very much looking forward to that and even this year uh, we are going to be extending quite a number of you an opportunity and so uh, I want everybody to know I haven't made announcements about our DID Coach scholarships because we had gone through some transition around this whole thing and how we're offering help and so forth. And we also had a pretty long waiting list, but that waiting list is shrinking and we want to help people. So, with that said, if you have been called by God to be part of the army of folks that are going to help survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government sponsored mind control agendas, and other trauma backgrounds uh, we have a year-long training program you can sign up for that you can get more information right from the same page the ministry page at bridemovement.com under the section that says i want to be a coach and that year-long program is described in great detail on the landing page um, there is an application. We are accepting applications through August 31st. But the sooner you apply, the better we are doing rolling interviews and rolling admissions. So I'm not going to go any further on that. Just understand all of that is in place. We are moving the ministry to Houston at the end of this year or early next year. Look forward to that. When we transition, we are going to be planting a physical ministry center that's going to double as a, a church. A, congregation gathering vehicle for us to build local community. We're going to be integrating fully our internet community. So all of you that have been following us all these years, believe me, we have no intention of leaving you behind. We also plan to get into our survivor housing there. Um, We plan to acquire land and we're believing God to pull all of these pieces together. So look forward to that. I want to also say, that we are very grateful for those of you that continue to support us what we are doing is being empowered by your generosity and i'll tell you what for what we are believing god to do we are also believing him for extraordinary resources and my prayer is lord give us more than we need before we need it i want to invite those of you that have been buying into the work you have been connecting with the vision um, to engage with us financially as well there is a reward in heaven you know um and and, in in covenanting our finances with god's kingdom is executed through generosity and giving so you can do that at bridemovement.com or through our app and you can download our app at any time from the itunes store or google play i'm done we're going to get right to the program folks Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, I am very excited, as usual, because God is. Doing extraordinary things all over the place. But I'll tell you, today is going to be a real treat. I have as a guest with me Arthur Burke, who has been on this podcast in the past, but it's been a while. Now, many of you in the listening audience are familiar with my guest already. For those of you that are not, he is the founder of the Sapphire Leadership Group. And he's been a pioneer in the areas of inner healing deliverance, ministry to the human spirit for a long time. And he's the author of a number of books, some of which include Blessing Your Spirit, Pure Joy. He has a whole lot of CD sets covering a broad range of subjects on his website. And most recently has released something they call the Sapphire Blessing App which features 12 blessings a month, uh, nuggets, uh, morsels, gems of revelation that are going out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which you can find at the iTunes store or Google Play. His website is theslg.com. Arthur, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall.
1: Thank you very much. It's good to be here again.
0: Well, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about tonight. I know that it's going to go deep and it's going to be a lot of fun. You are a scientist of the spirit. I love the way you think. And I'm just going to jump right in, because we're talking about the fractals of two and three. Arthur, what are fractals?
1: Very good question. They've been around since the beginning, but only discovered in the 1970s. There was a gentleman by the name of Mandelbrot who was working for IBM, and he discovered that there are universal patterns, whether you're looking at the veins in a leaf or the distribution of blood vessels in the body, there were macro patterns that could be identified. And from that, the study of fractals took off. Today there's millions of pages on the web with the different applications. But his work was primarily geometrical. So they could forecast cancer or forecast um, weather using predictable geometric patterns. The Lord took me in a little bit different direction looking at numerical patterns that are predictive in the spirit, the soul, and the body. Let me use a simple illustration. If I were to say to you, 2, 4, 6, 10, you would immediately know that the pattern was broken. There's supposed to be an 8 in there. It's a recognizable pattern, a predictable pattern, every odd number. In the same way God has given us meanings to a number of the numerical patterns in scripture. Today, looking at two and three, the question is always the mother fractal. What's the foundation? What's the core? For the Trinity, it's very simple. Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, fractal of three. We'll come to that in a little bit. And we can look at a lot of the three strand components in our life and see which one is out of whack by comparing how they function according to the spirit. But we're going to start with two, a little bit simpler, broader, and it really is the foundational fractal of all of life. So that's a doctor's doctoral dissertation in about four sentences. Doesn't really cover it, but it gives us a way to jump in.
0: <laughs> okay. So so when you're talking about fractals, we're looking at a pattern scriptural patterns to or script we're looking at numerical patterns through the lens of biblical revelation and mm-hmm. and drawing conclusions from that that help us to understand the things of god um, and even author or allow for god's authoring of restoration
1: absolutely that's the whole point is to get back to the original and if we don't know what the original is it makes it difficult, but using the fractals, we are able to spot aberrations more easily and to know with great confidence what the original is supposed to be.
0: Beautiful, beautifully stated. So let's start with the fractal of two. Walk us in.
1: Yep, two pieces side by side. We begin with the word of God and then we go to the human body. Why the human body? Because it is expressive of what right is. So I can look at how the human body is supposed to work and gain a greater understanding. The first expression of the fractal of two that we find in Scripture is the first day of creation. After God created a unitary whole, he divided it into two. And what is fundamental is the sequence. There is an evening and then a morning the first day. So that sequencing of the evening and the morning is central to the right operation of the fractal of two. The language that we use for the fractal of two is it's receiving and giving. At the nighttime, we're receiving. Homeostasis is being restored to our body. In The daytime, we go and we spend that energy that we accrued at night, receiving, giving. We good so far? I'm good. (laughs) Now... um, Anytime that you break that model of receiving and giving in the body, there's consequences. If you receive and you don't give something back, we have a word for it. It's called cancer. It's the only cells in the body that take and don't give. If you are giving all the time without receiving adequately, there's all sorts of aberrations. The one that's best known is chronic fatigue syndrome. When your adrenal glands are pumping out giving, 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 giving because you're demanding too much and never giving a chance to receive, you get sick, really sick. Mm -hmm. And if you reverse the sequence of giving first and then receiving, it looks tolerable, but it's a perversion. It's twisted. And eventually is going to allow the devil to pull you down into a rabbit hole because God has designed us to receive from him first and then to convert whatever we receive and do some other quality and then give back. So you can take the fractal of two down to the level of a single cell. Every single cell is a factory. It receives something somewhere from the surrounding environment. It is a factory. It converts that raw material into a different form and then it gives it back. It puts it back out there to the community the human body. And if a cell is not receiving, converting and giving, doing all three functions, it's sick. Something's wrong. There's there's a difficulty. We good?
0: And folks, you know, Arthur's asking this question because some of you are probably saying no. That's why this is a podcast. So, you have a rewind. <laughs> And you can use it as often as necessary. Please, Arthur, continue.
1: Okay. Now, taking that fundamental um, sequence of receiving and then giving, I can look at a person's brokenness and begin to decode it. The majority of our illustrations here today are going to be coming out of survivors of SRA. And in SRA, they work very, very hard to breach that sequence. What child in an abusive cult situation receives? They don't, they only receive abuse. There's no concept of any right resources being provided. The cult is just there to extract, to take. It's not even giving. It's being taken from them as they're commanded to do more and more with less and less. So that's the foundational traumatic experience. We move that forward into adult life. This person is now 40 years old. They're in counseling. They're trying to put the pieces together. And I'm going to look at the human relationships around them. What are their expectations of receiving? And most of the time, Their expectations of receiving are very, very warped. They don't expect to receive. There's resources available that they don't know how to pick up. And therefore, they're not able to heal. They're not able to execute. They're not able to accomplish, to grow in life because they haven't learned to receive. So, from that very fundamental picture, we look at where God is in their life. Where is God giving to them? Where is God providing resources? What kinds of resources and colors of resources is God providing at any given moment? Because it's essential that they receive from God so that they can convert and grow and become. So that's just a macro picture of the receiving and giving, looking at their spiritual life, their social life. Where do they receive? Are they receiving appropriately? And are they able to convert? Any comments you want to make there before I drill it down a little more?
0: Oh, only like a million. Uh, (laughs) But here's the thing, right? Uh, The Bible says he who sows abundantly will reap abundantly, but he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You know, Mm -hmm. exchange into the dimension of God, heaven, Mm -hmm. is based on the principle Mm -hmm. of giving and receiving. So when that's twisted, our ability to effectively engage the protocols for open access to the heavenlies is going to be Mm -hmm. skewed. And and one of the things that I notice with many survivors of different kinds of trauma backgrounds is that resources are often challenged. Absolutely. Resources are often challenged and, um you 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 really bring up a a very interesting thing you know we spent a number of weeks at our bride ministries church on the subject of dimensions of trade and Uh trade is in my opinion at the bottom of a whole lot of other other concepts all throughout scripture i mean trade is in salvation for god Mm -hmm. so loved the world he gave his only son you know trade is at the core of the downfall of 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 lucifer you know the bible says because of the abundance of your trading you were filled with violence and you sinned and so Mm -hmm. on this giving and receiving issue i mean that is so huge because that in my opinion is a primary target lucifer was a master trade guy in the heavens um that's where a lot of his And, and he was
1: made for that He was made to be a traitor. He just abused it.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Please continue.
1: Let's go back to the verse you gave about the sowing and reaping. On the surface, it appears that that means giving and then receiving, sowing then reaping. But the key is that in order to sow, you have to have received the life of God in that seed is the life of God. It is absolutely staggering how much code is in that seed. Mm. All you do is put the seed in the ground with some soil, with some heat, with some moisture, and the intelligence in the seed is staggering. You've never gone by a cornfield and seen half of the corn growing right side up and half of it growing upside down because somebody put the seed in upside down. The seeds know which way is up. The life of God in the seed is immense. So this person is in the middle of a sequence. They have received a seed from God, which has the life of God in it. They put that seed into the ground, giving, and that creates the next access of receiving more in the harvest so that they can sow more. And it's designed to be a cyclical process. And your survivors have been taught in the cult that there's nothing to receive except orders and punishment. They are taught not to look, not to think, not to dream, not to hope, not to anticipate resources, not to envision or imagine how they could use anything to escape or to better. They are taught there are no resources and nobody's coming to rescue you. And to teach them to look for and embrace the resources that God sends and how he sends them rather than focusing on the resources they don't have. It's true. They're under-resourced, and that's a tremendous handicap. But my job is not to be God to them and resource them. My job is to be eyes for them and show them the flavor of God's presence, God's resources, and teach them how to trade with the resources they have rather than flying about the resources they don't have. So I have a gal right now who is in an incredibly um, congested city, and she wants this, 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 and this, and this, like healing yesterday, don't we all? Um, (laughs) And what God is giving to her is wide open traffic. She is absolutely astounded that after 11 years of driving this same road to work and back, she knows that by 3 o'clock in the afternoon when she leaves work or even 2 o'clock, it's going to be an hour and 20 minutes ride home. And God is poking holes in the traffic and getting her home in 22 minutes. It's a miracle. She is astounded, amazed. She did not know that God had a traffic department and... He is giving her this resource to show her and demonstrate something. So she's received this free pass through an incredibly congested city, and the question then is, what are you supposed to do with that? How are you supposed to leverage that into your life? Well, I happen to know that she's got a tremendous motion anointing, and I suggest to her that I believe that God is saying this day and this time, this way, all the motion that you do, whether it's house cleaning or going shopping or sports, is going to be more fluid because I am inhabiting your motion this day. But it's my job to be I. She didn't get the healing she wanted today she got Mm. currency from god in a different form a different kind of currency and i had to recognize it for her i didn't give it to her i can't clear the traffic out of the way for that girl you know i'm not that good god is but i was eyes to say this is the currency how can you leverage it so after two three days of this she finally got it she goes home after a blazing fast trip home she gets on her treadmill which is her form of exercise And she plugs in the book of the Bible that has the most consummate motion of any other, which is Ezekiel. She and Zeke are good buds. And she listens to that while she's in motion on the treadmill with the grace of God on her. And she sees so much more in that book than she saw last week when she read it sitting down because the grace today, the life of God, is on motion. So it was my job to see, God's job to prime the pump, to be the initiator, to be the prime cause, and then hers to receive what God was giving, since he initiates, and to convert it into spiritual growth by listening to Ezekiel. But the poverty spirit that is pounded into kiddos and the cult has to be addressed in the counseling situation. You are not poor, you're blind you are not poor, you're not recognizing the resources that God is sending, you're trying to dictate to God what flavor of resource he gives you, what currency he uses, and God's God. He gets to choose what he's going to give you. Um, You have a choice to receive it or not to receive it, but this is not a short order restaurant where you can demand the currency that you want. And as we begin to penetrate The mindset of powerlessness of poverty with an anticipation of receiving in different ways, it begins to come alive for them as they wake up each day looking for what kind of flavor of the grace of God is going to come that day. But it begins with receiving. Life begins with receiving, and when we won't receive from God, Eve— When we receive from the wrong person, Eve, when we want something different than God wants to give us, Abraham wanted a son. God wanted to give him a nation. Hmm. It just messes everything up. Learning how to receive, synchronizing with God and receiving what God wants to give us is a foundational lesson we learn as children. I want pizza for breakfast. Well, actually, you're going to have scrambled eggs for breakfast because I'm the mom. It's a foundational lesson. And after a child has learned to synchronize with a life giver in their context, eventually they get to grow up and become a life giver. But basic childhood, whether you're in a fine, ordinary home or not, you have to learn at some point in time to receive what the giver is giving, not what you want.
0: I have tracked, I, I, and I'm listening to you talk, and I'm like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> One of the things that needs to, I, I think, just be put out there is, you know, the art receiving is actually a learned skill for many of us. Mm-hmm. Re- receiving is a learned skill. And, and I, I can't uh, tell you how many folks I've sat down with, Arthur, and I said, well, you know, you are lovable. Well, I can't hear that right now. You know, So well, mm-hmm. um, how many folks have, uh, it, it is uh, very difficult to receive on the subject mm-hmm. of identity. It's very difficult okay. to receive on the subject of acceptance. Very difficult to receive on the subject of, you know, blessing and abundance that, that, that those communications get scrambled.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that that changes focus, and so you know you find people that are constantly, well, nobody likes me, everyone rejects me, and you know I say, well, but you know we would actually like you to be here and do this and join us here, and oh, well, I can't, I can't do that, right? I, I just don't feel comfortable, you know. This mm-hmm. I'm unlovable is trading under the surface. I'm I'm not worthy is trading under the surface, and and it 's what you 're bringing out is such a relevant point receiving is is, is an art you, you said something though that was so good, and I want to come back to it. You said the mother fractal is two mm-hmm. unpack that now,
1: The mother fractal of two is receiving and giving
0: Ah, okay, so
1: all through scripture we 'll find lists of two, lists of three, lists of four, and we can 't just arbitrarily pull a list we have to. Find out what the foundational meaning of the fractal is. But along that line of mothering, mothering and fathering becomes another expression of the fractal of two. Because a mother's job is to teach us how to receive. And it's an ever changing dynamic. In the womb, the child receives like a parasite. He just helps himself to whatever he wants, however he wants. And a child can actually strip the mother of needed resources. So the child is born healthy and the mother is depleted by the birth. But shortly after the birth, the child has to learn how to receive in a new way, has to learn how to latch on and to nurse. And about the time that starts working really good, mother introduces this nasty plastic cup that he has no use for and teaches them how to drink. Then he's got to learn how to get cereal to his mouth on a spoon and fork, Peas on a fork to his mouth instead of getting them on the floor. And eventually, mom makes him fix his own grilled cheese sandwich. All through life, the way he receives is continually changing, morphing, growing him to a new level of whatever. And it's the mother's job to continually change the rules. It's the mother's job to continually upgrade the complexity with which he receives. That's mothering. At the end of the mothering cycle, dad takes over. If a mother teaches a child how to receive, a father teaches a child how to give, how to build, how to generate more value in the culture than they've consumed. But you can't do that if you haven't been mothered. And here's where the devil is so slick. You have a good working relationship with God. God provides for you here, here, and here. And all of a sudden, just like weaning, God stops providing for you. What do you do? Well, if you're a good Christian, you blame the devil, you go to spiritual warfare, you fight and fuss and demand to get back that channel of receiving that you had. And God has no intention of giving you back that channel of receiving. You're past the sippy cup, and it's time for you to hold a glass in your hand and not drop it on the floor. So with the accusation of the devil that we've been abandoned by God, that just creates rot in the whole system, And instead of feeling abandoned by God, we need to look around and say, okay, so the sippy cup is gone. What's next in the level? The rules of receiving have changed. How can I track with God, synchronize with him, receive something new in a new way? That's the art of mothering. And we who are mentoring people, again, need to be eyes for them and say, okay, so you're not receiving anymore. In that way, what is God offering? How can we synchronize with a new chapter in receiving? And obviously, God wants you to build something new and bigger with a new level of receiving. But the devil is right there at every transition with the accusation, see, you've been a bad boy. And God has rejected you, and this is proof positive he's not providing for you anymore. Abandonment. There you go. And we have to beat them to the punch and say, huh, okay, so the cup season is over. That was a good season. Now we need to look around and see how you're going to receive in a new way. It's the most ordinary part of growing up is continually having different levels of receiving.
0: So good. So good. I mean, it it comes back to the um, Israelites in the wilderness. They they couldn't eat their manna from the day before the day after yep. it went back mm-hmm. um and that is somewhere many get stuck they're Sorry. trying to s- extend a season upon which god has lifted his grace because he's graduating us into a new realm and and then and then it's different mm-hmm. i can't oh my gosh so much there okay what does arthur what what does this have to do with the adrenals? Mm-hmm.
1: All right. We have a variety of pairs of organs. If I may, I'd like to look at the amygdala first and then go to yes. the adrenals. Please. Um if you look on the web about the amygdala, you will see that the vast majority of the tests that have been done have been done on the right amygdala, the reason being that the right amygdala is much more reactive than the left, and we know from BUKU tests that the right amygdala stores the memories of trauma. It evaluates every new thing coming in, say, have we seen this before? Yes, scary, emergency, etc. And it's very easy to put somebody under an fMRI, show them a picture of a dog chasing a kid or whatever, and activate the right amygdala to do all sorts of exotic things, and they get a wonderful test. Why do they ignore the left amygdala? They ignore it because they don't know how to trigger it. What's in the left amygdala? The left amygdala is the file of the faithfulness of God, the dependability of God, the goodness of God. So here's a simple story I use a lot about a friend of mine who's a small business owner, and he's got to make his own sales. He gets ready to pick up the phone to call a prospective customer, and the right amygdala floods him with memories of really awkward sales calls and the embarrassment and the frustration and the pain and says, don't do this. The left amygdala floods him with these memories of God's intervention and the perfect timing and the sales he made and the good jobs and the good friends he has, and he's got in his frontal cortex this clash of true opposite messages. Sales calls are dangerous. Hmm. Sales calls are an opportunity for God. And in the executive function of his brain, he can synthesize those two and say, yep, it's true. I've had some bad calls. I've had some good calls. It's also true. I'm about out of money. I better make this call or I'm going to have some other kinds of problems. And in the adult mind with the executive function, we receive those two packages of memories. The devil is extremely skilled, along with some of the devil's human helpers, at building, at severing the connection between the two, building a structural barrier between the right and the left amygdala so that the left amygdala is silenced. And even though an individual has a long track record of God's intervention, those files don't surface. They don't come to the front, to the prefrontal cortex, and they're left with primarily negative emotions or negative memories. And we as a therapist sit there with 50 stories from their lives that we know about of God's faithfulness. Nothing is on the screen today. They're just immersed in negative stuff. That is the separation, the breaking, the breaching of that fractal of two god has designed us to have both messages coming forward to the brain and if the devil can stop the good stuff coming he's got us nailed so early on in a ministry process i'm very likely going to do some warfare prayer and ask god to remove every structure in the brain between the right and the left amygdala that he did not design to be there i'm passionate about Colossians 1, where it says everything that exists and is legitimate was made by Christ and for Christ. And I use that as a legal leverage. Lord Jesus, would you go through Sally's brain and any single structure that is there that was not made by you was not made for you is illegitimate. Would you purge it? Would you strip it? Would you remove those neurological pathways? Would you remove that shell, that covering, that barrier that's between this or that? because I only want her to have the original equipment that you designed. So there's that in the amygdala. Now you move down to the adrenals, and I got into the adrenal study by looking at Psalm 16.7. I had quoted it for years for people. Even at night, my heart instructs me. One day, I don't know how, I was looking at the Hebrew for that, And realized, to my shock, that's a rotten translation. It's not heart. It's the kidney-adrenal package. And I had no theology for kidneys and adrenals thinking. I had no theology or no biology for the kidneys and adrenals thinking. But it was there. So I pulled all of the verses on adrenals and kidneys, went through Scripture, looked at them. And most of them were pretty far out there. But I said, what if we take them literally? So I put together a bunch of blessings, just kind of on the fly, quick and dirty, ran them by a doctor friend and said, try these, see if they do anything. So they tried it on a few of their patients that had kidney problems and got amazing results. We refined it and tried it on a group of people that had long-term chronic fatigue syndrome, got amazing results, refined it one more time, put it in an album. And the bottom line is that the left amygdala frames the problem. The right amygdala solves the problem, or not amygdala, adrenals. The left adrenals frames the problem, the right adrenals solves it, and they send their input to the brain via the heart. So the thinking starts in the adrenals, goes to the heart, goes to the brain, and eventually there's a decision. And we have seen so many people desperately trying to solve a problem that they have the wrong frame. For example, the simplest picture is all the individuals that are trying to solve the problem of pressure in their life externally. If you just change the boss or change companies or change the relative or change the neighbor upstairs, when God is providing the grace, here we go again receiving, to change something internally rather than externally. We're trying to solve the problem on the external when God's not providing the grace for the external. If we can reframe it, what is God trying to do? Why did God allow this crazy mess in my life right now? And the way I frame it is very blunt. What's in it for God? God's not stupid. God's not mean. God doesn't waste pain. If this is father filtered and it came into my life, even if it was delivered by the devil himself, who God owns and he can use as a messenger boy anytime he wants, if it's father filtered, there has to be a purpose. There has to be a res- reason, and what is the life of God that comes with it in a flavor and a color that I've never seen before? How can I receive from God the currency that he's using to be able to solve this problem in the way he wants it solved, internally or externally? And there's a ditch on both sides of the road. The devil really doesn't much care which car ditch your cars in either one works and there are people on the self-condemnation side that would never think of changing something on the outside well have you thought about going to the police and reporting this oh no i just need to forgive him well maybe maybe not there's individuals that would never think of changing anything inside they want to change it outside and we have to synchronize with god Why did God bring this? If we get the right frame and the left kidney and amygdala, we frame it properly, then we can receive from God the resources that he sent along with the problem to solve it on the other side.
0: So, so much. Uh, I'm triggered right now because there's a lot that I want to say and I'm like wait a minute wait a minute Daniel you are interviewing so I'm I'm gonna just limit it to, to, to two comments first comment
1: okay
0: uh you know about split brain programming right left uh all of the intentionality that goes behind that I think that a lot of what God has given you revelation on it is is literally uh solving for some of the problems that come from this particular background and trauma set. One of the things that I found when I'm working with people's brains is that the, the the kind of barriers and blocks that the enemy puts in are quite extraordinary at times. And and the thing is god's power is bigger than all of it but man these blocks when they get into like the liquid crystal implants and some of the nanotech injections and stuff that's rerouting some of these neural networks i have found these these, these can be pretty challenging to re- rework but uh, what you're sharing about how the amygdala on the right and left works and These adrenals is is just so huge. And what you realize is so much of this technology now, you know, the the brain computer interface technology, Elon Musk doing this, neural lace, all this stuff, uh, they are interfering with the God given design. So so the agenda is to, you know, (laughs) toxify brain function with technology to then make it not possible for people to map their way out of their own bondage. So you can't, Mm -hmm. you feel like you can't outthink the problem. You keep getting the wrong frame and your brain is being driven. And I find survivors, their brains are being driven into double binds all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Now I'm triggering you. And the
1: double binds are designed to create a feeling of powerlessness. Agreed? (laughs) and when you're powerless either as the client or as a therapist there's no motivation to go forward Uh, you're just buried in futility if you're trying to solve a problem and you're powerless and that goes back to receiving any single time that we're blocked that means we haven't received the right resource So let's go back to the core foundational verse that drives me, gets me out of bed in the morning, and it's Ephesians 3.10. Ephesians 3.10 says it's God's will that now, through the church, the polyvariegated wisdom of God would be revealed to the principalities and powers. So let's break it down. It's God's will. We're not trying to badger him into doing something that we need. This is his agenda. That now, not in the millennium, through the church, not through the angels, it's God's will that now through the church his poly variegated wisdom would be revealed to the principalities and powers, so the good guys and the bad guys, meaning there's a bunch of good guys that have been observing God for a long time, and they don't know everything about him. There's facets about him that they don't know. Megan has worked for me for, I don't know, over somewhere between 10 and 15 years. She knows a lot about me. She has never seen me interacting with my grandkids, I don't think. She does not know how I do grandfathering. She knows how I cast out demons, not how I do grandfathering. She hasn't seen it. And in the same way, the only possibility that we have for taking the principalities and powers, good guys and bad guys, back to school is to embrace a problem that hasn't been embraced before. So God is sending to us bigger things, worse things, more challenging things, because he's on the fast track to reveal more colors of his wisdom. Now, there's a second verse that goes with it that also uses the word variegated. Ephesians 3.10 is polyvariegated because Paul was that old wordsmith, you know that. But in James, (laughs) it says, consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's variegated trials, problems. So for every purple color problem, there's a dozen shades of purple color wisdom. Then you go to 1 Peter 4.10, and it talks about administering God's grace in – It's variegated colors. So we have a purple color problem. There's 12 shades of purple color wisdom. And there's a purple color grace to implement the wisdom to solve the problem. Now, that's just a whole fancy way of saying that we need to learn how to receive. When we can't solve the problem with the wisdom of God that we have, it's a matter of finding new color of the wisdom. I learned a beautiful illustration of this from James Jordan from New Zealand. He was saved during a powerful move of God, signs and wonders in the church. They had healing um, services, and it was very common in that church for blind people to be healed. There was a fellow that came through the healing line one day. He wasn't just blind, he was missing an eye. He had a glass marble in his socket. The guy in line never hesitated. He slapped his hand over that glass marble and asked God to heal the guy's sight. And God healed the marble. He takes that piece of glass out. He's blind. He puts that glass marble in his eye. He can see. Who knew that God healed glass marbles? We all know God heals tissue, but God chose to reveal a new color of his wisdom, healing a glass marble so a guy could see, in order to send the principalities and powers back to school. So every crisis that we face, every powerlessness that we face, every thing that doesn't move is an opportunity for us to grow larger and say, where's the wisdom? How do we um, reveal to the principalities and powers a new color of God's wisdom? Now, in terms of the mind, I have a tool for you to ponder. Whenever things get complicated, I try to simplify them, take it down to the nuts and bolts. And you look at God, one of the most basic statements about God, I believe it's in First John, is God is light and him is no darkness at all. Now you couple that with the creation story of man. The Trinity had a consultation They came up with an idea, let us make man in our image. There was a unanimous vote, so they created man in their image. And this issue of the image of God has been debated um, relentlessly by theologians with billions of words being spent, and I think they're muddying the waters because the context says after that discussion in committee, after that decision, God created man and a woman, and he created them, male and female created he, them. Both Adam and Eve were bi-gendered people. We know that the seven portions of our spirit each have their own gender. They're not all male or all female. We know our body has the testosterone and estrogen, both regardless of whether you're male or female in your physical configuration. So that bi-gender facet to me is an expression of the nature of God. Now, you fast forward from Genesis to Revelation 4. Revelation 4 is one of my most beloved chapters. 1 through 3 is God here on earth, Jesus talking to John. Chapters 5 to the end is God in heaven acting on things on the earth. Chapter 4 is a snapshot of a day at the office just an ordinary guard variety day this is what heaven looks like when nothing's going on and you look at the picture throne of course emerald rainbow around the throne a little different you have the four living creatures you have the 24 elders and we have of course god on the throne i have read that passage so many times and never saw what was there God on the throne is dual lighted. He has the light of Jasper, Carnelian. We don't know for sure what gemstones they are. It's immaterial. The point is that there were two colors representing God the Father on the throne, and the two colors were completely compatible, but they didn't mesh. If we mix two colors together in light or in paint, it becomes a third color, but God maintained his perfect bigenderness there on the throne, representing himself as the dual gender God, as light. So I have used that very, very successfully in all sorts of brain applications, asking God to come with his light, his bigendered light. And to um, shine that transformational light in the brain to bring order, to restore the right alignment of the gender in the broadest possible term, because the receiving side is female, the giving side is male. Uh, All of that is in the brain, and for him to shine his perfectly gendered light in a brain that has been misgendered, segmented, reversed, twisted, conflicted, and all of that brings extraordinary healing to the brain, to the spirit, to the soul, whatever it may be. That, I think, is the tremendous power of the high priestly prayer in, what is it, Numbers chapter 6, where Aaron says, Would you turn your face toward us and let your what? Your light shine upon us. And in that transmission of the light of God into our faces and through our eyes and into the rest of our body, it corrects a lot of the damage that has been done during the last week or last month of knocking around in this sorry, corrupt world. So this is a new color of wisdom we've been using lately with exceptional success in the spirit and in the brain. Now, in terms of spirit, let me drill that down to one more. I think you're familiar with my model of seven portions of the spirit. Each one has gender. But we run across a few situations where the gender is fluid. So I'm working with a giver portion of a lady for two or three months. Giver portion is male. All of a sudden, one day, it turns up it's female. Say, huh? A few days later, it's male, then it's female again. I say, whoa, Nellie. Okay, we got some problems here. And we didn't know whether it was male or female. Doesn't matter. Don't care. We just want it to be what God wants it to be. So we began exploring that and Um, asking God, first of all, to shine his light to show us what we need to know. Obviously, we don't know what we need to know. We don't know what color of God's wisdom we need to receive here. So I just write a blank check, show us something. And the first thing he showed us was another male giver off to the side because today the one presenting was female. Okay, so we have a clone of the spirit. We don't know which one is legit, which one is phony. To make a long story short, In multiple cases, the entire spirit has been cloned and reversed. So if the original spirit has four females and three males, the alternative clone spirit is going to have the opposite of that, and the enemy substitutes some, plays, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to go into all the evil. But there's a tremendous revelation when you ask all seven portions of spirit to line up, and you ask God to shine his light through them. The light that shines through your clear glass lens is different than the light that shines through your sunglasses. And you can very readily see, uh aha, these four are original spirit. They receive the life of God in a natural way. These other three are manufactured. They're disparate. The light is not shining through them properly. And then we can proceed to get rid of the synthetics and find the captive portions of the spirit. But light is a phenomenal tool for um, rapidly healing the neurological pathways in the brain, for revealing the fraud, revealing synthetic versus real, and for healing the human spirit. One other thing in that whole realm is a very familiar verse in James 1, I think it's verse 27, where it says every good and perfect gift comes from above from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows, father of lights. I just did a query today from some Greek scholars and said, is that really plural? And they came back with a fancy explanation. I don't understand said, yes, it's a genitive. It's plural, whatever that means, but God is presented there as the father of lights, multiple lights, not just one golden light. And that extends in so many different directions with the gemstones that have light shining through them, the foundations of the New Jerusalem, the breastplate of the high priest, it just goes on and on. The God of light is becoming a powerful tool for accelerating the um, healing. The other day I was stuck and well, I'm well stuck most days and I said, Holy Spirit, I could really use a cue card here. The issue was um, gender, not in gender fluid facet of somebody's personality, but in a person not being able to receive equally the way they should. It was just vaguely the fractal two was broken. And I said, so what do we use here? And God said, the fractal two. I said, um, yeah, I know. And he took me to the onyx stone, which is the first gemstone mentioned in scripture. It's mentioned in the Garden of Eden. And we don't know for sure, but apparently the onyx stone was what was used for the Urim and the Thummim. Fractal of two to be able to determine the will of God and all of that stuff. And he said, use the fractal of two to correct, you know, use use the structure of the onyx stone to correct the fractal of two in this individual. Well, you know, I'm not a gemologist. I know nothing about the fract- the structure of an onyx stone, but I'm just smart enough that I know how to repeat back to God when he gives me a cue card. So I did. And we had a freedom in an individual in an area that we fought for a year because God knows there's something about the fractal of two in the onyx stones. And I I'm smart enough that I bookmark these things, and I tried it again on two or three other people in the next few weeks. And consistently, something about the fractal of two and the structure of the onyx stone works, and it's useful for correcting in the inner part of the brain the breach of the fractal of two. So that's just some of the new colors of God's wisdom that are only gonna come to us if we are willing to tackle the problems that we don't have answers for. And I grieve over the individuals that choose to play it safe, they set a grid of what they know, who they're gonna work with, and they only work within the area of their competence. And you know, they touch a lot of lives, there's a lot of brokenness out there, but they're missing the exhilaration of partnering with God in the supernatural in releasing new colors of his wisdom that the principalities and powers that have been watching God since eternity past don't know. And the only way that's going to happen is if we tackle stuff we don't know. Tackle a problem no other human has ever tackled before. And so for those of us that have the resilience to embrace multiple failures – we have the privilege of being used by God to bring into the stream of the body of Christ new colors of his wisdom. That is his will, that now, through the church, the polyvarigated wisdom of God should be made known to the principalities and powers. And we are extraordinarily privileged to steward That revelation on God's behalf, because he refuses to do it through the angels, it has to be done through humans. But in order to be there, we have to be healed enough that we are emotionally grounded and can handle seasons of failure while we are struggling, growing, moving to the place that we can receive the next revelation. And a therapist that can't handle failure needs to get out of the business, period, because God has designed us to be out on the edge and to embrace seasons of struggle on the way to seasons breakthrough. Okay, end of rant.
0: I get a little <laughs> wound up on that topic. Wow. Okay, so, you know, folks, I, I, I'm I gonna tell you something, right? Uh, I'm not going to put my guests in a box. That, that's why this is called Discovering Truth with Dan DeVall. Like if you feel like you're drowning uh, I take zero responsibility for that. There are plenty of ways to catch up with the level of revelation that my guest is presenting. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of our audience is very familiar with the idea of seven fractals of the human spirit, the seven facets that that, that uh, they mirror the redemptive gifts that um they can be alternate genders uh, at least those have been following us more closely we, we've all tracked the same thing i mean this is i've seen the same thing uh, for those of you that are very nervous i can assure you that my guest is not endorsing um sexual confusion in the physical realm but not a bit i i i, I just want to say this because this is so cool in the bible uh First Peter 2.5, it says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And, you know, one of the things that I, I was, um, you know, being pointed out by God, I think a lot of folks would think, you know, all right, a, a spiritual stone, I'm probably some kind of like rock or brick or something, because that's like a self-image issue. You know, as living stones, I am convinced at this point that we are more likened unto gemstones in that identity Mm -hmm. context. So the house of God, that is the spiritual house, his temple, is actually a crystalline structure of our living stones being penetrated necessarily by his light inside being refracted outward through us to everything in the creation. So, literally, everything that you're saying, I think, also grounds out in First Peter two five because it's the pattern. I just, I, I just think that this whole uh, light element of ministry that you're bringing up is super, super cool.
1: Let's take it one step further in terms of sequence. Hmm. All of human history is about revelation, and the first revelation of God was a garden. God designed the garden as a reflection of him, and in Job 12.7, it says, Ask the birds, ask the fish, they will teach you of me. All of creation teaches about God. Then we fast forward through a bunch of revelation. We arrive at the law, the ceremonies, the symbols, everything about the law was a revelation of the nature of God. You fast-forward through the Psalms and the prophets. You fast-forward to Jesus Christ, the living incarnation of God, another revelation. Then the church is another revelation. The final revelation of the nature of God is a city built out of minerals, out of gemstones. The highest, most profound, most sophisticated, most complex, most transformational revelation of the essence of God is in gemstones with particular crystalline structures and shapes and precious metals and colors And that is why when you go on the website and look at the spiritual meaning of gemstones, the occult is all over it. As usual, the church is running about 100 years behind because the demonic knows that there's spiritual truth in the gemstones, and we need to redeem that, that God intended, and to find the true meaning of the light and the revelation of God that is embedded in this extraordinary world of gemstones and precious minerals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now now you're teasing me, right? Because in our email exchange before this uh, program, I'm going to tell you the truth, folks. I was going to try to get my guests to talk about the gemstones of the new Jerusalem, but we still haven't talked about the fractals of three. So uh, Arthur, I'm going to give you the option You can either take us into the fractals of three, or you can compact some more on this gemstone conversation. Your choice.
1: Let's look at the fractals of three in light of the heart research that we are doing. We have the foundational precept here in SLG that the single most important theological question of all time is, so what? What? Just about everybody in the Christian community has a tacit exception, acceptance of the Trinity. It's not a hot topic of debate. We don't have non Trinitarian Protestant churches out there warring for their position. But even though it is tacitly accepted, it's not really understood. Nobody, not nobody, not very many people can say, I'm living my life differently because I understand the function and the purpose of each member of the Trinity. We believe we have the model of the fractal of three and that God the Father, as it says in Ephesians chapter three, I believe, is the father of all mankind. God the Father deals with community and all of the aberrations in community are a perversion of the nature of God the Father. So you look at racism, you look at war, you look at child molestation, you look at ritual abuse, you look at divorce, you look at... um, social structure and justice all of that comes under the heading of god the father he is designed to have community work jesus christ came to deal with a problem of victimization and powerlessness we were not designed to be powerless he came to restore dominion to us by rescuing us from the enemy and teaching us how to fight and how to build the holy spirit is involved in creation and our relationship with creation, that's where one of the enormous breaches in the church has taken place. We accept the Holy Spirit's work in relationship to creation when it comes to signs and wonders and healing. Healing somebody of cancer in church, usually cool. But the whole broader range of our relationship with the stewardship of the planet, with the mass of portals and ley lines and other dynamics of the earth, An awful lot of churches look at that and say, ooh, New Age, naughty, naughty. No, it's not naughty, naughty. It is an understanding of how God wants us to interface with creation. If you look at the millennium, there is vastly more information in Scripture about how creation is going to be transformed than community, and that's intentional on God's part. So I see this um, fractal of three as being the three different facets, community working, God's sons having dominion and our stewarding creation effectively the way we're supposed to in the Garden of Eden. Having said that, I believe that each individual has a God-designed bias one direction or the other. So let's take three counselors that are all working with SRA. All of them are dealing with the same problems and the same kinds of people, the same background with the same objective of healing and integrating and equipping everybody for life. But there's going to be a bias. The first person who has a passion for God the Father is going to be exquisitely aware of reconciliation. And the deepest, most fundamental reconciliation is being reconciled with our timeline, then secondly, being reconciled with ourselves, our body, et cetera, then the community at large. So all three counselors are going to work on that to some degree. It has to be done to bring healing, but one person is going to have a fire in their belly in that area. The next person is about dominion. They are going to push back against the victimization, the powerlessness, their strength, their anointing, the verses in scripture that they know are about empowering the individual. And even though they're gonna be dealing with reconciliation, it's gonna be through the grid of, yes, you can. The grace of God is sufficient for you to be reconciled to your timeline because of the power. Others are going to be much more attuned to the diversity of tools that God has in creation I know a lady whose primary tool is song she will sit in front of a survivor and hear the song of heaven that is supposed to be sung over them and with that tool of sound will break down structures and barriers in them and reconcile them so all of us have to do all the work but we have a specialty from God that needs to be developed That said, as somebody is sitting in front of me, or not sitting in front of me, but when we're talking on the phone, I am vastly more interested in their original design than I am in their brokenness, and as they're telling me the story of their brokenness, I'm listening to find out what the devil attacked Because the devil knows our design. They know which member of the Trinity we are designed to relate to more, to engage with more, to understand more easily. And that is the area that is going to be whacked so hard. And as I listen to their story, I'm reasoning backwards to, okay, clearly this individual was taken to ridiculous levels of powerlessness because they're designed to walk in dominion. Did I go too fast or are you tracking with me this far? Tracking. Now, here is a personal belief I haven't heard any other counselor share, but I believe that in just about every single person that goes through SRA, there is some part of their design that God protects, that He hides. It is never found, it is never defiled, it is never damaged, it's never distorted. It is in its pure, pristine condition, able to be used by God as the catalyst for reintroducing them to that member of the Trinity that's central. So I'm listening for that, I'm looking for that, I'm wondering, I'm watching for any clue in their life where they are walking in the supernatural and don't know that they're walking in the supernatural. So there was one lady who was pretty severe in the SRA for that time that she went through, had been somewhat put back together, and was in Bible school or seminary studying Hebrew. And she wrote me one day and said, you know, it's the weirdest thing, Arthur. Um, I don't know what's happening, but every time the professor writes a new Hebrew word on the board, and is going to explain to us what it means i already know that word well the bottom line is god had implanted hebrew in her and the devil never found it it wasn't broken it wasn't defiled and at the appropriate time in her journey he brought that to the front and enabled her to soar in her knowledge of him through the incredible word pictures that only hebrew can capture so many stories like that of people who are absolutely sure they're too busted there's nothing of god there's no hope they're just want a little bit of help surviving and that's not my goal i don't help people survive i help them to walk in dominion and so i'm listening looking for those clues are they a community person? Is their grid for looking at the world, the loss of relationship, the loss of connection, the inability to find life flowing from community? Is it dominion? Are they mired in powerlessness and they think they can't do anything? Are they a creation person? Do they find their solace sitting by the stream, listening to the water bubbling over the rocks, etc.? cetera? Are they texture? One of my most fascinating experiences was a texture one where this gal had a part. Everybody knew about the part. It was a key part. and Nobody could engage with the part. They just knew it was there and was holding a key. Um, I was pretty green back then, which was a wonderful thing because I depended on the Lord probably more then than I do now. And I asked the Lord, so um, what do we do? And the Lord said, that part loves texture. So the lady went down to a lace store and bought several pieces of very um, roughly textured lace, sewed them on a sofa pillow, put the pillow in her lap, and allowed that part to stroke those textured pieces of lace with her finger. And she opened up and babbled like a brook because she was a creation person that part and the actual host person was all about nature and in that context of validating the god-given craving of texture they opened up and i've used that question from time to time for a part that won't open up to anybody else i'll say um, is there anything that you would like to touch Nobody's asking that question. Everybody's beating on them about their brokenness. And time and again, they'll say, yes, one of my most interesting challenges was bark. Um, they wanted to touch the bark of a tree. I said, I can deal. So the gal got her headset on and walked out to the forest. And as she's walking through the forest and this part is stroking the texture of the bark of a tree, she would tell me anything I ever wanted to know because she was designed not for the theology, not for community, but for that facet of nature. So understanding that fractal of three in terms of parts has been very helpful to know how to approach them, how to access them by speaking the language that God gave. Now, in the heart, we have obviously fractal four, three chambers plus the fourth one. In the fractal four, we have the trinity plus Kingdom. So with the blood flow through the heart, right atrium is father, right ventricle is son, left atrium is Holy Spirit, left ventricle, the big one, is the pump that slams the blood to your toes and it bounces back again. That's kingdom. And each of those chambers of the heart is fed by different blood vessels. And a heart attack comes when the muscle is not fed with the right amount of oxygen. And we are finding that we can significantly predict which person of the Trinity that individual does not know based on the EKGs we're doing and what shows up in the behavior of their heart, because their heart is tracking with their spirit and their spirit's knowledge or their spirit's ignorance of the function of the Trinity. We're still in the very primitive stages, probably a couple of years away from having an actionable strategy and product out there, but it's fascinating to see how our knowledge or ignorance of the Trinity has direct implications on the function of our heart.
0: That is fascinating. I love it. When did you uh, when did, When did you start looking into this? I mean, how how long ago?
1: It's been. Um, probably about four years, and it's been the hardest battle we've ever had. We have burned through several doctors and practitioners. We've had to restart three times. So we're now about nine months into our fourth run. We've got momentum. The data's coming in. Our team has held together, but the devil's not happy with us. And we're having to put a lot of extra effort into this project. Wow. But if anybody's interested in participating, they can go to our website, look for heart tests. You got to fill out an application, come into the office, and we have fun in between the battles.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, this, this, this has been phenomenal. You, you know, folks, you, you're going to definitely have to use that rewind button several times. Uh, don't don't feel shame, okay uh, Was there anything else that you wanted to add on the conversation of the fractal of three
1: yep um, in our western theology of the trinity it's not just the trinity but it's three who are one agreed Mm -hmm. we say that glibly and i think there's a majestic picture of that back in my beloved revelation chapter four again the engine that's running heaven god's on the throne he's not doing anything but we have the four living creatures who are continually chanting holy 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 fractal of three is the Lord God Almighty, fractal of three, who was and is and is to come, fractal of three. And you have a triple three in that expression relating to time. And the issue is the segmentation of time. We live in segmented time by God's design. He created the first day that was a standalone segment, and the first thing he did after creating one standalone segment was to segment it again in the evening and morning. So we have days, we have weeks, we have lunar months, we have seasons of God's dealing. You know, time is all through God's interaction with man, and we are expected to live in compartmentalized time. Now, God Recognizes our compartmentalized time. It's not alien to him, but he simultaneously lives in all of time, not in any one segment, past, present, and future. And that dynamic of God being able to operate in our segmented time and also outside of our segmented time is to me central to the dynamic of the time manipulation stuff that the devil does so just as a broad sweeping statement that you can all agree with god's bigger better smarter more powerful than the devil when it comes to any time manipulation but i will have to concede the devil's not too shabby at doing two things. Number one, moving us out of divine time into some other time or timeless dimension. And then secondly, compartmentalizing us, keeping part of us trapped in time 40 years ago while part of us in the present. God never intended us to live in two different times. We're supposed to be fully in one time. So in those time manipulations by the enemy, I used to get way too bogged down in the details of minutia, how it happened, which portion of the spirit. And these days I don't. I invoke the three in one. I invoke the essence of the fractal of three, which is also one. And I ask God as a trinity to come into Sally's time – both the present time where most of our humanity is and the past time where some part or some portion is trapped and for him to bring the oneness to bear on eliminating that segment so as to bring the whole together. Now, that's kind of the gross motor skill version. On the fine motor skills, we have the timing within the brain. The enemy is a master at having right hemisphere, left hemisphere running out of sync. Imagine a car where the wheels on the right side are going 30 miles an hour. The wheels on the left side are going 32 miles an hour. You go around in circles. It doesn't work. And to ask the God who has one speed, one time, the perfection of timing to synchronize the fractal of two, through the presence of the fractal of three on the brain so that the whole brain is synchronized to one time is a powerful, fast tool. But that verse in Revelation 4 is extraordinary in its power. The segmentation of time, that is our world. And God brings his world and our world together into one and that statement holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come and i leverage from there to the lord's prayer our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as is in heaven And I can go to God and say, God, your will in heaven was for Sally to live in one time. Your will in heaven, you designed her as an organism that thrives in solitary, segmented, sequential time. So would you bring heaven to earth? Would you bring all the thoughts that are in your mind, all of the time frame that you intend for Sally, and impose it on her humanity, neatening it up, bringing all the disparate, parts that have been frozen in time regressed in time the portions of the spirit that are outside of time would you bring it all together exactly as you see it in heaven bring heaven to earth according to revelation 4 and that passion that i have for the fractal of three three segmentation that's our world one that's god's world bring heaven to earth and let the fragmentation of our life become one time spirit soul body birthrights offices all in line with one chronometer god's chronometer force if time is messed up there's going to be a cascade of junk in our life and if we're trying to solve the junk on the fruit level it's kind of like killing a tree by picking the leaves off you could do it but you're going to be a very old man before that tree dies and if we come down to the root And bring this segmented, scattered time into alignment with the unitary time of the Holy Trinity. It speeds things up. And I'm impatient. I like to get this thing done.
0: (laughs) Well, and and I'm sure you've worked with enough time travelers to know just how necessary this is. Because, Arthur, I'm telling you, these time travelers... Some of you don't get the joke, but um, I'm not really joking. So, I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, this is the truth. Uh, This is really good because, I mean, just fundamentally, straightforwardly saying it, one of the things that Babylon does is trade in the bodies and souls of men. And when soul parts get trafficked, they get put on other timelines all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Every time I turn around, soul parts of people are sitting on other timelines. Some of them mm-hmm. keep going back. It's like they want to be desynchronized from Earth Timeline because of self rejection and self hatred. The presenter's life is terrible. I prefer my life in the other timeline. Folks, this is stuff that some of us are dealing with, uh, the kind of level of conflict that it takes another level of revelation to resolve. And so I, you know, I I can't say this enough. I so appreciate your ministry because you are daring to solve problems, Arthur, that so many folks have backed up off of because of whatever it might be in in, uh, 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 fear Um, insecurity, religious spirits, uh, so many problems that folks have said, I will not try to solve this. I will actually turn a blind eye and you don't. And I so respect that. And so this has been a lot of fun. May
1: I address the issue of the other timelines and the parts that want to be there? (laughs)
0: You, You might as well go for it. We're
1: going to do a quick jump forward to the fractal of five. Um, The fractal of five is the fractal of holiness. The first thing God sanctified was time. Seventh day, it wasn't dirty. He sanctified it. No other mention of holiness in Genesis, although the picture is there. The second thing that he sanctified was land, Moses burning bush. Third thing he sanctified was community. Passover, the whole nation was sanctified the fourth thing he sanctified was birthright. That's the temple, Israel's birthright, or tabernacle. Israel's birthright was to be a nation of priests to the kingdoms of the world. And the fifth thing that he sanctified was offices, offices of priest and high priest. Typically, we come in and work with number three. We work with community. what happened to us, what we did, all that stuff. And we've got two bungee cords of trauma bonds of time and land holding us back. But my experience has been that when an individual makes great progress and then suddenly dissolves, decompensates, all that stuff that we've done vanishes from one day to the next, or when they choose to undo the work that you've done, which is what you're describing, that the problem usually is in the area of birthright. And clearly the attack on birthright is an extraordinary part of the um, assault of SRA. Let's go back to Israel coming out of Egypt. The first generation was free from slavery, but they still had a spirit of slavery, which is why they couldn't possess the promised land. Slaves don't have a birthright. And it was the second generation that had begun to move into sonship that was able to partially possess the promised land as a concept of birthright. So kids that are being chewed up, torn up in every imaginable way are at best hoping for survival. And if you have a mindset of survival, if you have parts that are more comfortable on another timeline than this timeline – It's because they're looking at survival rather than birthright. They don't even think birthright. They're not imagining changing, fixing anything, making the world a better place. They can't even make their life work. Birthright isn't part of the language. So we as the leaders and as the value setters in the engagement have to talk abstractly at first and then eventually concretely about birthright. Even though your life is not functional today, you were placed here on planet Earth to make a difference some way, somehow, I don't know what it is yet. And I have found that as I can bring survivors out of their commitment to surviving into at least an abstract um, comprehension of they're here for a purpose, the change sticks. And here we're talking about the difference between mothering and fathering. If a counselor gets stuck in mothering, if a counselor is trying to take away the pain, trying to make it safe and easy and fine, they'll go far, but you'll go farther if you are a father. And a father does two things. Number one, you identify design. Number two, you unpack design. That's all there is to fathering. So when I'm working with somebody dealing with a part that's in a whole lot of pain, I'm trying to find design. I had one recently where a part would not leave the darkness. Jesus Christ came to the part. The part would not leave, and I explored it, and it turns out that a portion of the spirit, the mercy portion, was being held in a portal over yonder or whatnot, and this part understood that there was a hostage situation. If the part availed itself of freedom, the mercy portion of the spirit would have something horrible happen. Now, I drilled down on design, on essence. I'm talking to this part that's so scared it won't even leave with Jesus and said, you're amazing. You have unbelievable loyalty for you to take the heat and stay here in this awful place for the sake of the mercy portion that's over there. That's immense. I am honored to meet you. You are amazing. That's fathering language. That's putting language The one teeny tiny bit of their design that I know, and it changed the whole tone and the tenor of the encounter. Yes, we had to go get Mercy out of the portal where she was captive, but when this part came out of the darkness with Jesus willingly, once Mercy was rescued, they had a very different demeanor than parts that are normally beat up, chewed up, and all they can think about is their pain. I will routinely query a part and say, do you have any idea what you're supposed to do? What were you told to do? Um, What were you made to do? What would you like to do? And out of that comes the clues to design. And when a part feels better somewhere else, they're in survivor mode. They're consumers. When a part has a sense of design, they can then have a sense of identity if you have identity you have the possibility of a birthright so subtly sometimes overtly all through a conversation i'm relentless in pursuing design can i pick up any clue about who they are jesus rescues a part and takes it and puts it by the stream i ask the part do you love the water oh i love the river what do you love about it do you like to swim in it do you like to play no i just like to hear bingo. I know that this is an auditory part. There's something about sound that they were made for, and I can run with that. Jesus puts them by a tree. Oh, do you like the shade? Oh, I love it here. What do you like about the tree? I like the color green. It's springtime. They're so green. We got a color part, and I'm going to explore. What colors do you like the most? We're in this new community. Which colors speak to you the most? And they're just tiny little threads, but my languaging this tiny scrap of identity, this clue that I have from a part, expedites their moving from survival into identity and anchoring them for birthright. So explore that with one or two of your parts that won't stay home, that are forever playing hooky, and see if you can find out if there's anything they like, if there's something that they prefer other than pain avoidance. And out of that, you build identity and eventually you move towards, well, this is what you're made to do. Isn't it amazing? Experiment with that, Get back to me, tell me whether it changes anything with your peeps.
0: (laughs) What you're saying is really good. Uh, See, we could talk literally for 24 hours that's the problem um i'm going to make one more comment mm-hmm. i'm going to try to make one more comment that is unless you trigger me because then i might make two <laughs> i think i was supposed to make two comments a while back i never got around to one. but look the the thing is with birthright. This thing gets stolen and traded on, on the trading floors of hell, for lack of more specific terminology right now, all the time. People agreed. have their birth rights. They're taken at conception, during development in the womb, at birth, post-birth, during rituals. there's so many ways they can do it. Then they begin parsing it out. So they do, you know, some of it goes over here. Some of it goes over there. Actual trades are made. Resources are exchanged. Bills of sale are generated. And people's birthright then goes out to the cosmos all the time. I agree. One of the problems, though, is that even if, as a coach or counselor, you begin to go out and do war for the birthright before there is an agreement and a core strength in the individual to receive the birthright. It's like getting a gift. You don't know how to unpack Agreed. because it's almost like if a person is in self-hatred, uh, self-loathing shame, and guilt as core identities. And you say, all right, well, we just went to the ends of the heavens and got back all these pieces of your birthright here. You're supposed to, you know, ascend to this mountain. You're supposed to do this great work and that exploit. It's like, ah, that can't be right. I can't receive that right now. Boing.
1: (laughs) Which is why we have to start with a fractal of two, teaching them how to receive something and god is a master of mothering he is going to meet them in the most Mm -hmm. remarkable ways in order to introduce himself to them and on a biochemical level it's the dopamine reward he trains them to anticipate his intervention in some form or another and you're absolutely right we can't Bring back birthright until they have a culture of receiving, which is why I always want to begin there. If their primary form of receiving is from me, I'm digging myself one very deep hole. So my job is to be sure that my job is short by being eyes and mouth all the time. That was God. Did you see what God just did there? Hmm. And I'm especially overt with myself. The expression that we use in our tribe is an elbow, as in the elbow of the Holy Spirit in our ribs. I am very quick to point out when I'm teaching from principle, when I'm explaining something because I know this something, and when God intervened. So I had a heart test once. I'm always sitting in the other room for half an hour before the heart test starts, just listening to see what God wants to say. Sometimes he's in a talking mood, sometimes not. But I walk in and ask a lady, so what's with your left shoulder blade? She hasn't said anything about her left shoulder blade, but she tells me this long, sad story. And I say, well, God told me before I came in that there's a credit in your left shoulder blade. All of a sudden, I'm forcing the issue of receiving God initiated, told me that that's where the problem was. So eyes and ears all the time or eyes and mouth to communicate to people, God is giving, God is giving, God is giving, and he will train them. He will grow them. So you're right. Fractal of two is the initial stepping stone towards the eventual bringing back of a birthright. Totally agree with you on that sequence.
0: Folks, um... This has been a program on the fractals of two and three, four and five, gemstones, light, identity, timelines, time time travel. But I didn't have that much space in the titling of the program, so you'll have to forgive me. Um, My guest has been Arthur Burke. And um, again, if you haven't heard the podcast I did with him before, I highly recommend going back through our archives and, and catching those. Uh, they, they were excellent. And um, you can anticipate that I will be extending invitations to my guests for future podcasts as well, because <laughs> there's a whole lot more that we have to talk about. But um, for now, Arthur, I, I just want to say thank you for your time, your ministry, um, your availability, and the impartation.
1: You're most welcome. As we give our most famous and familiar and beloved blessing, go be dangerous.
0: <laughs> All right, folks, you've heard it. Until next time, God bless and God speak. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at BrideMinistriesInternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.